Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning comes to us from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 through 14. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And of you, I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind. Do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dallas Theological Seminary is one of the largest seminaries in the world, but Dallas Seminary almost closed its doors before it ever got going. Back in 1924, right after it opened, Dallas Seminary was facing bankruptcy. Creditors were threatening foreclosure. The trustees of Dallas Seminary gathered for prayer in the office of the president. They prayed that God would provide the needed funds in order to keep the school open. A man named Harry Ironside, who was in the office that day, prayed a particularly poignant prayer. Quoting the Psalms, he said, O Lord, we all know the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and send the money to us. Well, meanwhile, at that very moment, into the business office of the seminary walked a tall Texas rancher. And he told the secretary, I just sold two loads of cattle in Fort Worth. And I've been trying to work out this deal and it hasn't come through. And I feel that God is compelling me to give this money to the seminary. So whether you need it or not, here's a check. The secretary took the check, went into the office of the president, handed it to him, and then he stood there dumbfounded as he looked at the amount on the check. Would you believe the check was for the exact amount that the seminary owed its creditors? And the president turned and said, hey, Harry, God sold the cattle. <laughs> and today, Dallas Seminary graduates hundreds of ministers every year. Now, here's a question for you and me this morning. Was God going to close that seminary and then change his mind because the people prayed? Or would that cattle rancher have walked into the office whether they prayed or not? I know many of us in the church are kind of confused on issues like this. What difference does prayer make in the great grand scheme of things? Does prayer ever really change things? Isn't God going to do what God is going to do? The Bible says the universe is ruled by the mighty hand of a sovereign God. But it also says in the Bible that prayer makes a difference. 
How can both of those things be true? Well, we know that Moses believed in the power of prayer. In the run-up to our story today, Moses leaves the people at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and he goes up into the clouds for six weeks of prayer. Now, just so you know, in the Jewish mindset, the higher you went topographically, the closer you were to God. And so Moses climbs up Mount Sinai in order to get closer to God. And then our story kind of becomes a split screen with an upstairs and a downstairs. Upstairs, Moses is on his knees, interceding before God, praying on behalf of the people. Downstairs, the people are rebelling against God, and it says indulging in revelry. And what we discover is that it's one thing to take the people out of Egypt, but it's a lot harder to take Egypt out of the people. Because as time drags on, the people begin to wonder, where's Moses? When's Moses coming back? He's sure taking his own sweet time about this. And so they think, maybe Moses isn't coming back. Maybe Moses is even dead. We, we've got to get a new leader. Oh, and while we're at it, let's get ourselves a new God too. And so they go to Aaron. They say, Aaron, we're tired of this God we can't see. We want a God we can touch and feel and see like we had back in Egypt. And being a wimp, Aaron caves in to the people's wishes. He takes some gold, he melts it down, and he makes a calf. And the people say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Meanwhile, up on the mountaintop, God says, Moses, let me tell you what's going on down below. And God says, I have had it with these people. This is the last straw. Moses, I'm going to wipe them out just like I did back in the time of Noah, and I'm going to start all over again with you. And Moses becomes unglued. He reaches out and he grabs the ankles of God and says, no, 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 please don't wipe out these people, please. Remember your promise that they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You don't want the Egyptians to be saying that. You simply let them out there in the wilderness to die. And so we have one of the most controversial verses, perhaps in all the Bible. Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. It says, then the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. The NIV translation says, then the Lord relented. The old RSV, which was the precursor to the NRSV, which we have in our pews, says, the Lord repented. You need to know that Bible scholars squirm in their seats when they read this verse. They will try to make this verse say what they want it to say and think it should say, all in an effort to not have it say what it so obviously does say. Basically, God said, well, Moses, I hear what you're saying. I think you have a point. I will spare the people. In, in Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is the Bible in contemporary language, he writes, and the Lord did think twice. Well, there are some people who say, Moses was not able to sway God's hand. God would have spared the people anyway. I'm not so sure the prophet Ezekiel would agree. 
At one point during his life, God was sort of scanning the horizon of Israel, looking for someone who would be an intercessor, who would pray on behalf of the people. He wasn't able to find one. And God says, I look for anyone among them who would repair the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with fiery anger. God says, unless I find someone out there praying for Israel, there's going to be some big problems. Okay, no one praying. Ready or not, here it comes. What does this teach us about prayer? Friends, stuff happens when we pray. Just as a wire conducts electricity, you and I can be high voltage conductors of grace in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, and even the world. It only takes a slender wire of prayer for the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to pass through us and out into the world. The pastor author of Ben Patterson tells a story of walking out into the narthex of the church after he had preached a sermon and seeing at the front door this cardboard box. The sign on the box said, Tim Limbloom's Prayer Ministry. And there was a picture of a young man sitting in a wheelchair wearing a helmet. And then there was a slot in the top of the box for the insertion of prayer requests. And the only other message in the box said, all I ask is that you let me know what happens. And we have to wonder, well, what can a young man sitting in a wheelchair wearing a helmet be able to do with such physical limitations? And the answer is that he can be that slender wire through whom God pours out his grace and healing and love and power. And my friends, so can each and every one of you. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, rich or poor, male or female, college educated or no education. When we bow to pray, we are like Clark Kent emerging from an alley. That is why Jesus commands us to pray. And the promises are extravagant. Listen to the promises Jesus makes. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, a door will be opened. There is tremendous power in asking. How do I know that? Even dogs know about this power. Have you ever eaten in front of your dog? Your puppy's head will follow your fork from plate to mouth, from mouth to plate. And invariably, because of that look in their eyes, you might bend, them, bend down and give them a little nibble. Why do we do that? Oh, we love that look of delight in their eyes. And Jesus says, imagine how your heavenly father's heart just melts when you ask him and you look at him with those great big eyes. God says, are there any angels watching? And God slips something down to us. Oh, yes, prayer makes a difference. But now, back to the big question. 
Did Moses change God's mind? Are, are we dealing here with an angry God of vengeance, intent on zapping those people into oblivion, but then who seemingly caved in to the pleadings of a kind-hearted Moses? Well, not exactly. Remember, everything, everything begins with God. It was God who called Moses in the first place. It was God who called Moses to be the intercessor for Israel. It was God who called Moses to climb up to the top of Mount Sinai. It was God who put that love in Moses' heart and those words in Moses' mouth so that when Moses prayed, he was simply praying for the very thing that God's heart desired. George Appleton, editor of the Oxford Book of Prayer, says prayer is essentially a person standing before God in wonder, awe, and humility. Humanity, made in the image of God, responding to his maker. And so Moses was brought into the plan of God through his act of prayer. That's why prayer has power. Ron Delbeni is a hospital chaplain who went into the hospital room of a young man named Carl. Carl was depressed. Carl was so dejected that he didn't even look up when Ron Delbeni, this hospital chaplain, walked into his room. And so Ron Delbeni asked him, is the pain rough today? And Carl said, not the physical pain. And he went on to tell Ron Delbeni about a short conversation he heard outside of his room. Two nurses were talking, and one said to the other, that poor man in there, he's never really had a chance to live a full life. And Carl said, well, what do they think I've been, only half alive? To me, living a full life means making the most of the time I have, and I've done that. I've lived a fuller life in my time than people who are going to live a lot longer than I'm going to live. Why can't people see life through someone else's perspective? Well, within a few weeks after he made these comments, Carl, this handsome young man, former championship wrestler, was on what they call in the hospital no-co, like, like a DNR, which basically means in the case of a life-threatening emergency, no extraordinary measures would be taken to save his life. That was Carl's choice, along with his family. But the chaplain wanted the nurses to know that even in a crisis like that, there was something that they could do. And that was a prayer that he had written on a card right next to Carl's bed. He told them it was a prayer that Carl had prayed and prayed over and over again. This prayer captured his feelings about death and dying. And the prayer was very simple. Oh Lord, lead me into the light. And the hospital chaplain said to the nurses, even if Carl's lips don't move, know that in his heart, He's praying that prayer, oh Lord, lead me into the light. The chaplain said a few weeks later, a nurse named Beverly came to him and said, you don't know how hard it is to stand by and watch someone die who was on no code. But what a relief to know that there is something that I can do for Carl. I can pray for him. Lord, lead me into the light. You see, prayer gives us power even directly in the face of death. We just need to be ourselves when we pray. In that scripture reading from Matthew's gospel, our second one from this morning, Jesus says, pray then in this way. And he gives us this short, simple prayer, which we didn't say this morning, but we're gonna sing at the end of the service. We say it just about every week in church, 
You can pray it any time, any place. It takes less than a minute. Half of it is about God. The other half is about us. The Lord's Prayer is sort of a handrail which helps us in forming our own words when we pray. I think quite often what happens to you and me is we have this kind of formal tie and jacket approach to prayer with this mentality of of having fancy schmancy stained glass language. Don't get me wrong, I admire people who can pray in King James English, like my father. I grew up with people in the church who knew all those these and thous and thys. That ain't me. For me, prayer is simply spilling the beans to God. Lord, help! I need you. Someone has said you cannot pray a bad prayer in the same way that a little child cannot paint a picture for their mommy and daddy. You know, your child comes home from school and you put those pictures up on the refrigerator. Why? They're all Rembrandts. In the same way, God delights in the prayers of his people, in our desire to be in his presence. I'll close with the story. Brennan Manning is a pastor, and he tells the story when he was a pastor at a church. He got a call from a woman who said her elderly father was sick and near death. Her father had not been to church in nearly 20 years, and she wasn't sure where her father was in his relationship with God. And she wanted Brendan Manning, this pastor, to go and visit with him and see if he could talk to him about eternal things. He didn't have long to live, and worse than that, he was going crazy. She told him, he's got this chair in his room that he won't let anybody sit in. He's slipping fast. Would you go and visit? And he said, yes, I will go. The daughter said, thank you. And remember, don't sit in that chair by his bed. It will upset him. It will end the whole conversation. So Brennan Manning went to the hospital. He went into the room. He saw the chair, but he saw another chair in the corner of the room. And he asked him, do you mind if I get that chair from over there? The man said, sure. And so Brennan Manning got the chair. He sat down next to him. And after some initial opening chit-chat, Brennan Manning asked the man, would you say you have a spiritual life? And the man said, oh yes, I have a spiritual life. I have not been to church in 20 years, but I believe in the power of prayer. In fact, every day I talk to Jesus. The man said, you see that chair next to my bed? I I envision Jesus sitting in that chair, and it's as if Jesus is right here in this room with me, and all day long I tell Jesus what is on my mind. So yes, I think I do have a spiritual life. A week later, Brendan Manning got a a call on the phone. It was from the daughter of the man. She said, I just wanted to call you and let you know that my dad passed away last night, but it was the strangest thing. When they found him, He was outside of his bed, down on the floor, and he had his arms wrapped around that chair. Friends, prayer is not a grim duty. It is not us uh, reciting a, a laundry list of items to God. It's our stairway up Mount Sinai. It's our way of bowing before Almighty God. Prayer is our way of wrapping our arms around his throne and being with him. And so let's do that right now as I ask you to join me in a moment of prayer.
Let us pray. God, thank you for the gift of prayer and in being able to commune with you in this way. And we know that amazing things happen when we pray. And yet, oh God, we also know that even when prayer doesn't change you, it still changes us. Help us to remember the words from that beautiful hymn that we sang earlier. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. God, forgive our prayerlessness and our self-important busyness. Make us to be people of prayer. And meet us in those times as we share from our hearts. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.